0: In five, four, three, two, one. Let's get Let's this bubble. Can you give us your view as whether or not there is a housing bubble out there? Well, unquestionably, housing prices are up quite a bit. I think it's important to note that uh, fundamentals are also very strong. Very strong. What? Listen now. Oh, yes.
1: Mr. Ken. How's it going, man? It's been a while. How's it going,
0: Ricky? Oh my goodness, it's been so long, I feel like, what has been, three weeks since we recorded our last podcast? I
1: don't know, it's been way too long, but you know, the good thing is, is, in that time, we've been very productive and a lot of good stuff has happened. I mean, if you could tell me about something epic, really epic that has happened, I'd really appreciate mm-hmm. it. I mean, I think the audience deserves to know what has happened in your life, and then we can talk a little oh, bit uh, of, about mine, which is cool and all, but I think our audience deserves to know what has happened recently. <laughs>
0: Yeah, Ricky, I wasn't expecting you to jump on this uh, right from the beginning, but I guess I might as well tell you and and, uh, tell the audience as well. So there's a podcast that you and I both love. It's run by Eric Townsend and Nathan Eggers called Macro Voices. And uh, they bring on all these awesome guests, uh, talk about macro, talk about gold, talk about Federal Reserve, all that good stuff that we like to talk about as well. Um, But with more of like a sophisticated institutional investor bent, I'm happy to announce that I've joined their project as uh, you know leading their research roundup team. So I'll be helping them publish a newsletter, creating articles, possibly even maybe co-hosting in the future. So
1: That is that is awesome. That's great news. I mean, I really like that podcast because they really dissect everything into sectors. I mean, they talk about oil, and then they go into oil. They talk about gold, and they talk about gold. They talk about equities. They talk about bonds. And they also bring very good guests. So it's just a great to know that mm-hmm. you're part of that team. And I've seen the work that you've done independently. I mean, if none of you guys, uh, our listeners have seen Aaron Chan's work. I mean, he does work of charts. I he's and he's done articles it's great
0: stuff it's great stuff and the fact that oh w- w- one more thing uh, before any of that happened with macro voices ricky mario got published on zero hedge what? <laughs> what?
1: <laughs> i mean that's i'm telling you i mean these three weeks we were we were gone but a lot of good things were happening i mean Aaron yeah. this article made it to zero hedge uh which is awesome if you guys don't know what zero hedge is it's basically a website that provides you news and uh, gives you a lot of detailed news. And uh, I really like their logo uh, from Fike Well,
0: yeah. Tyler yeah, Durden. exactly. Tyler Durden. And I think I like Zero Hedge because it's not like the mainstream financial press. You know, they give you a different viewpoint. Um, they are not selling you what the mainstream media is selling you so it's it's definitely an alternative place to go to get news on on the fine you know on the finance on the markets but also on the politics and the social stuff as well definitely
1: definitely the social stuff so it's just great that the fact that you got published and basically the coolest website there is one of them you know uh...
0: (laughs) what's going on with you man why don't you update us and update the listeners on what's going on in your life
1: well, my life, uh, you know, I've been currently working pretty hard here at the radio station. If you guys don't know, I work at radio stations, and uh, I'm organizing two big events. One of them is for August 25th, 2016, Nora and Pure uh, Jetset Club, and I'm, I made like a whole philosophical concept behind it called Zarkana, and etc. <laughs> and then another one, which is closer, is a uh, June 30th, uh, which is Cuarenta Summerfest, uh, which is a beach. That uh, I mean, we're gonna basically turn a club into four different beaches, and we have a great lineup. And one of them <coughs> is probably like <coughs> Mr. Chan, you know, bringing some like <laughs> DJ skills with Punal, and it's gonna be great. It's gonna be a great party. <laughs> but you know, uh, it's so interesting. Uh, these things actually consume a lot of time because they are, in essence, not a financial investment per se. Because it's not like I'm using financial instruments, but they are a real investment, you know. So you gotta, mm-hmm. you gotta make sure that everything turns out well. And if everything does turn out well, the returns are ka-ching. ka-ching.
0: But uh, the, the returns don't come unless you provide something of value that people enjoy, right? So, exactly. So this is yeah. going to be a sick event on June 30th. And um, I'm coming down for the event. Uh, Kunal, well, he's performing. My One of my best friends, uh, Kunal Jatal, is uh, a super talented uh, musician. And uh, he will be performing at, at your event, Ricky. And I uh, hope I'm going to have an awesome time.
1: No, it's going to be a great time. So that's sort of what's uh, been going on with my life. I've been working on my personal side of... Uh, Econ stuff. There's a bunch of econ lectures I've actually That's right. up, up the pace. It's just sometimes it takes a while for me to upload because YouTube takes forever and i got to be in a place with good internet and et cetera. But, uh, a face uh, like yours deserves high quality. It does deserve high quality. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It's just people <laughs> prefer high quality. But uh, just to remind people, it's Man, Economy, and State by Mary Rothbard. I'm going – through chapter one right now the whole idea is to do the whole book but I really go into detail in each section I mean it's like three pages but I do 15 minutes on those three pages so I really want people to learn and you know it's good stuff and I also do my you know uh, economic political questions that people want to answer etc so that's uh, sort of what's going on with me now a lot of things have been happening in these three weeks besides our personal lives, and it's uh, been the markets. <laughs> and the markets, honestly, Mr. Chan, have been an emotional roller coaster for me. Oh, I'm I'm like I have motion sickness. Yes, it's it's insane because, I mean, before we get into the last event, we got the equity markets were back at it again. Closing those near highs and gold saw some sort of sell off, and I was like, "What mm-hmm. is happening? What is?" Because basically, mm-hmm. uh, the Fed minutes had come out that they were expecting to do a rate hike, but bada bing, bada mm-hmm. boom, 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 uh, we get uh, these weak <laughs> uh, jobs numbers this Friday, yeah. and I think people are no. Oh, longer terrible!
0: Like, terrible jobs numbers. Terrible. Thir- was it thirty seven thousand something like that? Uh, something like that. It was. And in the I think 30s. the economists are forecasting like 100, 120,000. <laughs>
1: The point is, I think people are taking the rate hike off the table. But what was very interesting for me was the market reaction. I remember in the morning when I saw the number was like around 830. And I talked with a friend of mine that, you know, he's into the markets, etc. And he's like, I'm telling him, I wonder what the market reaction will be. And I told him that I think that the markets aren't gonna react that much because we're at a point where bad news is actually good news, but uh, mm-hmm. gold will see some sort of rise because of the implication that it will be more easing. And evidently that was the case, but I'm so astounded that we're in such a bizarre period that when bad news comes out, instead of the equity markets falling and actually being a correct reflection of the economic conditions, they're staying mm-hmm. there because they are anticipating further easing. What do you think about that? And were you surprised by the by the market's effect to this news?
0: Well, I wasn't surprised to the extent that obviously there was a mass there was a pretty big sell off um after that jobs number mm-hmm. and uh predictably the you know, S S and P I was looking at S P Y you know, it basically did like a little rounded bottom and came back up to the, you know, to where it basically opened the day, and it's really, yeah, Ricky, you're so right. It's really really strange, and you know, I was watching a video uh, posted on John Rubino's website, DollarCollapse.com, another uh, great podcast. Oh, he's um, great. That, he's great. Yeah, John's awesome, and uh, he posts uh, he regularly posts a series of ten videos, the top ten videos, and near the bottom there was a video of Peter Schiff talking on CNBC about what you know what might happen, where you know. Eventually, the Fed will be forced to backtrack on all the rate hikes. You know, well, the one rate hike that it's done, and then (laughs) even going to QE four by the end of this year. So, I mean, we can we can think about how I think conceptually we can think about how you know the market views bad news as good news, but you still have to contend with the reality of a recession. right? So even though the, the Fed may offer some kind of floor right, on the stock market by printing more money uh, and cutting interest rates, I think you still have to think seriously about the fact that, OK, what are the conditions that have to uh, permeate before, before that actually takes hold? I don't know, Ricky, what do you think?
1: I mean, you saying all that brings, brings up a question that I've had in my mind, uh, which is a very good question, actually do you think you can say so yourself no no i I think it is because if if you could give me the answer i'd be very happy because i don't know how to position myself Mm -hmm. do you think the fed will act before a a recession has been clearly demonstrated meaning that they won't or will they wait for the recession to happen in order for them to act do you you understand the question
0: yeah if if history is any barometer they're going to Wait until the recession happens before acting. I mean, uh, right. <laughs> I, I mean that's that's my opinion. Janet Yellen didn't see 2008 coming. Ben Bernanke didn't see 2008 coming. Uh, what 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 makes us? I don't think we should we should view what's about to happen or what we think is going to happen is the Fed anticipating it because they've proven in the past uh, an inability to see it coming.
1: So in other words, we should expect some sort of market correction before there is some sort of easing. Maybe it may not be as large as a market correction that happened in 2008. 2008, but there will still be Mm -hmm. some sort of market
0: correction similar to the one we saw in January, if not more. Is that what you think? Yeah. Yeah, that's what I think. And honestly, like the Fed and, you know, Ricky, I've been thinking about this for for a while now. Um, The Fed has really painted itself into a terrible corner, right? Because You know, it wants to, it's been communicating for, you know, for years now that uh, America's economy is stronger than everybody else's. So, you know, our, you know, we can, our, our monetary policy can diverge. We can start raising rates, you know, even though Japan has been printing money forever. You know, Europe is buying corporate bonds now. So the Fed has, a, has to maintain its own credibility because it's been saying, you know, we're going to raise rates because the U.S. economy is so much better. So it, it, on that one hand, if it doesn't raise rates, it kind of screws its own credibility. But at the same time, if it does actually raise rates, we saw what happened in December, right? Like, uh, we raised rates, the dollar, dollar continued to rally, and then you had massive capital upflows out of China. Definitely. So then all the equity markets around the world started selling up because, oh shit, China is falling apart. You know, um, you know everyone started focusing on the credit bubble in China, which is still, exist- is still yeah, exists. Still right it still exists
1: right now. It's still existent.
0: Yeah, nothing's changed uh, from that fundamental perspective. So it's, it's like damned if you do and damned if you don't for the Fed. Um And the longer that this is allowed to persist, the wider the gap is between the perception and the reality of the economy.
1: Yes. I mean, we recently had a very interesting conversation where we were talking about how basically this whole thing is uh, a battle between perception versus reality and kind of like a philosophical notion of the primacy of consciousness versus the primacy of existence, which was a great conversation we had a friend yeah. of ours and it was just a great conversation and this I think this time that we're living is basically the test of the notion that paper can be money which I think metaphysically speaking it's not the case so we mm-hmm. are gonna unfortunately suffer the consequences of avoiding reality I mean like Ayn Rand said you can avoid reality but you cannot avoid the consequences of avoiding reality but with that in mind Mr. Chan I mm-hmm. Let me know if you think I'm wrong with my thinking. I think that the, what the Fed is going to do, they're they're going to come up with some sort of excuse, and that excuse will not be to blame themselves or the U.S. economy for them not to raise rates. They're going to say, oh, we're still not there. We need just a little bit m- more of easing mm-hmm. or something. Like, what do you think is going to be the excuse they're going to come up with in order for them not to raise rates? Or do you think they're going
0: to raise rates either way? Well, Rick, I'm going to answer, answer your question in two ways. Okay, so I think they're going to blame, as they have in the past couple of meetings, international headwinds and financial conditions. And I think financial conditions is just code for the stock market. But uh, recently on Macro Voices, they had a really interesting interview with Julian Brigden of uh, MI2, MI2 Research. And he basically talked about how when we think about inflation, inflation's like sort of a 800-pound gorilla in this room, so to speak, because yes, we've had really low oil prices, but think about it oil has moved up almost like 90% in the last couple of months, it's right? Insane. So you can, think of, you can think of oil as like this inflationary pulse through the economy. So to get complacent with the low oil prices that we've seen in the past like year is in some ways unjustified and to think that inflation is not going to pick up. So you could also envision a scenario in, in the future or in the near future where the Fed might be forced to hike rates because inflation is starting to run out of control. So this is like a multi-variable problem. I mean, they could they could totally not raise rates if there's a recession, they could do that. But then there's also you have to contend with inflation as well. So I guess like the short answer to your question is like I don't know whether, you know, whether they're going to raise rates or not. They could raise rates because of this inflationary pressure, and they could also not they could cut rates because of a of a recession. So the Fed has not communicated any kind of clear policy, and when they have communicated anything, they have actually not followed through. So it's kind of like a cluster F, you know, over there.
1: Definitely. But to your point, I think the Fed in general favors inflation versus deflation. So even though oil prices, which, I mean, that's another beast. I really don't know the reasons. And we can talk about that later, but I don't want to get sidetracked. That's the thing. We have so Mm -hmm. much to say. But anyways, with regards to oil, it might be due to the possibility of inflation expectations picking up. But yeah. I don't know if that is sufficient for the Fed to see inflation already as a worry. And if it were to pass the 2%, they, by judging by the economic theory that governs them, I think they might see it actually as a good thing. And, and I think ultimately what they want to do is monetize that, and that's what they will do, and they will wipe out the dollar. So – and since they know that the labor market conditions are not at par, if they were to tighten – because oh we fear inflation, even though uh, mm-hmm. I completely disagree with the whole Phillips curve theory, which is just naive. I mean, just look at what's the, the 19- Phillips curve? The, uh, the Phillips those. the Phillips curve is a curve that states that there is a relationship between inflation and unemployment. That basically, if you have high inflation, you have low unemployment. And if you have low unemployment, uh, you have a uh, high in, high inflation. But of course, if you look at the 1970s as a case study where you had stagflation, look at those words that economists need to come up. It's when you have both. <laughs> but, Nothing to do with Fairfield University where we. <laughs> (laughs) exactly but that's just a naive version of viewing the economy as some sort of motor instead of a complex system driven by individual actors trying to achieve their ends but the point is I think that right now they don't see inflation as a threat. I know it will be a threat in the future. But if you look at the reactions of previous monetary leaders in the past, what they do Mm -hmm. when there is inflation, unless you're Paul Volcker, what they do is actually print more money. It's insane. I mean, look at the Weimar Republic. I was like reading a little bit about it. Oh, my uh, God. In uh, Hans F. Senhold's book, Age of Inflation. I'm like, I Mm -hmm. cannot believe this. What are they doing? But they come up with some sort of economic argument, like naive and soft office economic arguments saying why mm-hmm. print more money and etc well
0: ricky you know it's interesting you bring that up because um I, I saw a really interesting chart of uh the monetary debasement of the ottoman empire Ooh. and the silver content of their currency and i mean it it, it it this stretches throughout history you just have to look in a history book to see That's that it. right we were reading um what was that book called uh by it was the history of fiat currency in France, oh, great and this is talking boy. about the right late 1700s, early 1800s that ultimately led to the rise of Napoleon. Um, but there was a huge devaluation in the French currency at that time, which led to like you know massive uh, unemployment and, and large you know lots of suffering. Um, so this is nothing new. These 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 Fed officials, these monetary uh, you know officials, it's nothing new. What they're going to do and what's been done in the past.
1: Yeah, I forget who said it, but basically history repeats itself. But what fascinates me is that we have such, quote-unquote, smart and intelligent, sophisticated leaders. And yet, when they see a history book and they see that printing money or creating money out of thin air will have tremendous consequences, they just simply disregard it. And I I just... Don't get it. I don't get it. It hurts my mind, Mr. Chan. It hurts my mind when people think that paper is money. I just don't get it. But of course, there's like a whole <laughs> fancy like, economic theory behind it. You know, you got Irvin Schiffer saying that the uh, money supply needs to increase constantly because it's the barometer of value. But then you got the Keynesians No, oh, the market doesn't work. Therefore, the government needs to step in and you know boost aggregate demand. The heck is aggregate demand in general? I mean, I know we can talk about it in conceptual <laughs> terms, but you can't just like boost people to be like go spend more. Go, go spend yeah. You know, it's like you got a yeah. cheerleader like go spend. Yeah, you got like Keynes, you know, dressed up as a cheerleader. Yeah.
0: So, I mean, you you can even get as crazy to think as like the government printing money and then putting it in holes so that people can dig it up. It's insane. Right, it's insane. It's Th- those insane. are actual, those are actual prescriptions um, to deal. You know, I could say call it Keynesian prescriptions or how to deal with deflation. Um, so, I don't know, man. I'm, I look, I'm completely on board. I, I agree with you. This is um, this is crazy times. Um, you know, gold, gold shot up, uh, ridiculous. You know, it was up, uh, up to like twelve forty from down from like the twelve, uh, the teens. Um, and you know, on on the backs of this bad, uh, bad employment number, and and uh, and then subsequently traders um, discounting the probability of um, of a Fed rate hike in June. So I think you know, going forward, we're probably going to see more of these spikes in gold prices because definitely, right. This is not going to be a gradual. I don't think, at least, this is going to be a gradual realization of reality by the public. I think this is going to be in sharp uh, gyrations. Um, it's not going. It's not going to be smooth. And and when you think about, okay, we as an investor, where can I put my money these days, man? Like, well, I can't put in bonds. Bonds has been it's it's been on like a thirty-year bull market since the '80s. Exactly. Can I put Can I put in equities? No, equities look really toppy. I mean, you look at valuations, even in P metrics, they're like near the tops. Exactly. Um, so you know where else where else can you put it? You can't put it in uh, well real estate. I mean, oh my God, have you read what's ha- been happening in Vancouver? Um, you know, New York, you know, San Francisco. Where are you, like if you're buying real estate now, you're buying at the top. So well, where else is left? You can't put it in a savings account. You're getting zero, right? In some cases, you're getting negative. If you're in Japan, or in Europe, um, so where else? Where else can people put money? Not not just to even like make money, just to preserve their wealth. Exactly. Right, Th- these are the financial monetary conditions that these central bankers have created, and um, you know I wish we lived in a world where we didn't have to like I didn't have to like think about hoarding gold or hoarding silver or you know yeah. these kinds of things. I-, I wish we could look at the fundamentals of companies and invest in good companies that we think will actually you know meet the ends of uh, of uh, of consumers. Yeah, and know- the preference.
1: Definitely. And, you know, I really enjoy doing this podcast, but something that bothers me, not to the extent that I don't want to do it, but it's something necessary that I have to do, is the fact that a lot of my time, or a lot of the time that we spent talking about this podcast, is deciphering what the heck central bankers are doing. Instead of us, per se, talking about, look, we found this very interesting company, and we think it has a great valuation, and look at the management, and etc. 3D, yeah. Instead of doing that and looking at fundamentals, we got to be talking about the macro picture because those fundamentals that right now, if you look at the financial statements of our book, they are corrupted by the situation created by the central banks. So if you don't understand what the central banks are doing and you try to analyze a company, you're basically digging yourself in, in a hole and analyzing a company in the blind. You know, it's just insane. I'm not saying you can't do your financial analysis, but you have to do it in the context of the macro situation happening. I don't like to use the macro word because I just, you know, I think the economy is just a whole, but, you know, just to differentiate, I mean, just a general global geopolitical economic situations that are happening,
0: you know. Ricky, you're 100% right. And this gets, this really touches on what we talked about when you came to visit New York, like what these bankers do it's not only a misallocation of capital this is a misallocation of life yeah. you and i are good at other stuff that we should be you know i could have you know maybe i was a, i could have been a really good surgeon you know and you could have been a really good like you know pole dancer I'm uh, yeah I mean, i'm probably kind of good at that i'd be kind of good you know i got my moves
1: i'm working on my dance moves
0: you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah no but but you know the point is that we are spending time trying to decipher what these self-interested people are going to do instead of spending our time focusing on, hey, you know what, let's think about the future. You know, what does 3D printing mean for, for industry? You know, uh, what are the prospects for mining asteroids for, for minerals and resources and bringing it back to Earth? We could, we could be thinking about this stuff, writing about it, doing analysis and, and hopefully investing in this kind of stuff. But no. Instead, we're talking about central banking and interest rates.
1: Exactly. That's mostly what a lot of the financial, media, and financial conversation is based on these days, which in a true market wouldn't be the case. I mean it wouldn't be that important. I mean, the interest rates would be determined by people's preferences. You know, it's just, this is a mm-hmm. preference and it's letting you know how much capital there is for you to do the investments that you need. Right now, we, yeah. right now, right now as investors, we don't really know how much capital there is available for us to do our investments. You don't know when you embark on a project whether or not you'll be able to finish it. You just don't know because you don't have the necessary information. The transmission mechanism of information, which is the interest rate, right now has been corrupted. But the thing is, you mm-hmm. know it's corrupted, but you don't know to what degree. You're, you're basically out there the clue like oh should i take out a loan i don't know right now it's zero but what, what's the time path of my investment what is it oh i don't know should i take a risk well i don't know what the central banks are doing
0: so well, it's in in many ways you don't even care right because interest rates are zero so you're like well the the bar for any investment on those cash flows is it's so low that any investment looks good right exactly. so this is where that misallocation happens where you don't get the signal you the, your interest rates aren't high enough where you're like setting a high bar for your investments so like okay like this is a good investment and this is a bad investment when your interest rate is zero all investments look good and this is how you end up when, and 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 actually, you actually know I was watching um I was watching Donald Trump we're not going to get political here but I was watching Donald Trump's uh speech in California and he said he says something to the son of, you know what? I'm rich. Okay, I can get in. I can I can borrow money. You know, interest rates are at zero. I can borrow money because I'm rich, but you can't, and regular people cannot. So this is why you've seen these bubbles in real estate, same and you know, and you've also heard some stuff about art. And then the same thing applies to the equity markets. Who are the people who are most likely to be investing in in financial assets? It's going to be rich people, and these rich people have had access to easy, cheap credit for the past seven years. And this is why you have the stock market that we have now and why we have the real estate market that we have now. Um, it's and really, oh. And you have the massive inequality. I'm not saying, I mean, I'm,
1: I'm not a fighter of inequality. Inequality is a fact of reality. But central banking has manifested the resources to be in the hands of a few than, let's say, redistributed to the many because of transfer of resources that occurs through monetary policy. And it really bothers me how even when you're young they don't you don't learn anything about this stuff you don't learn about monetary policy you don't, i mean and if you do you learn it, it's like oh it's a necessary good because the economy when it starts overheating the central bank comes in and takes the money supply away in order to cool things down when the, but when economic activity is slow the central bank comes in and adds liquidity woohoo thank god for a central bank but you don't know about the mobsters that they are and the money that they're seeing from you implicitly they don't tell you that stuff they don't tell you about the history of the fed you know we recently saw a good documentary you know pretty intense one but still good and it's just what really bothers me is that this whole notion of printing money has not only corrupted the financial system but it has corrupted culture it has corrupted society and most importantly it has corrupted people's lives i recently talked with a friend and i saw how desperate he was and how sad he was and mm-hmm. for me, all of that is a function of the uncertainty created due to the monetary system and also the political ideas that have been governing society. And that really bothered me. And that's why, you know, there are days that I just want to, like, chill out and play Nintendo, which I do. But then I think about that and it pushes me and it drives me. And, you know, until you and I and Mr. Chan exist, those mother effers will not rest, you know, because I'm not stopping. I ain't stopping. You know, like, <laughs> what, what's this guy, uh, Andy Sandberg? Never stop, never stopping. Boom. Take it, tend to take it, yeah, and yelling Ben Bernanke <laughs> and all those bankers and whatever. I ain't stopping. Sorry, I want a little rant, yeah. but it's just it pisses me off. It pisses me off.
0: No, Ricky, you know, I think maybe one of the persistent challenges that you face is that thinking about this stuff can sometimes uh, – I don't want to say it's a little depressing, but it's like, you know what, you see – you see that it, it it causes all this misallocation you know, people who normally could be doing other things are now worrying about all the student debt that they've piled up or how they're gonna make you know even find a job like it distorts not just as you said um mon- you know the money but it, the money permeates to, to society into culture into politics um but you know that challenges for us to continue to push forward and to and to live full full lives uh, meanwhile being aware of this system that exists um And, you know, I guess us doing this podcast and trying to share information is is, is part of that effort, you know. Um, And, uh, yes, it is an outlet for it. But it's also our opportunity to to try and help others and help them realize uh, what's happening. You know, you're talking about inflation. Inflation is just a slow robbing of people. And someone who is unelected by you can do this. Exactly. It's crazy.
1: It is very crazy and it is very sad. But to bring things back to a sort of positive perspective, I guess – and wrap things up mr chan what do you think are your predictions let's just and really quick you know because i know we can come to really deep what do you think are your predictions based on two things let's just do based on the fed back to it what Mm -hmm. are your predictions on this june is there going to be a june rate hike yes or no and why short explanation please
0: uh i would put a june rate hike at around like a 15 percent probability um, and I say that because, you know, what the Fed may be so interested, self-interested, that they may not even care that they'll, they'll set off, um, uh, you know, a sell off in the equity markets and, and possibly initiate some kind of monetary war with China. Um, but I still think that the probability of that is very slim. So I would say that they're not going to raise rates.
1: I completely agree with you. Fifteen percent seems about right. If it weren't for the, the past December rate Hike that happened, I would have been 100% said no, but since they surprised me in December since they were in a corner and they're still now in a corner, I don't completely disregard it, but do I think they're going to do it? No. Like you said, they're probably blaming it on the international headwinds and the financial conditions.
0: But, yeah.
1: with all of that in mind, we hope that you enjoyed this episode of the A Favorite Podcast. We will be back at it again, giving you awesome information and financial theory and all that good stuff and excitement <laughs> and... You know, just me and Mr. Chan doing our stuff. And remember to like us, share us, comment us, say mean things about us. We don't care. We just want you to engage in debate. Because when there's debate, there's reason. When there is reason, there's no force. And when there's no force,
0: society flourishes.
1: Anyways, thank you very much. And stay tuned for the next episode of The Essay Fair.